It was Saturday, which meant that Julius would be spared the shame of school. He would not be hectored by a teacher demanding tuition, and thus wouldn't have to jump out a window to escape a caning. He wouldn't feel humiliated by his lack of a school blouse. He wouldn't grow lightheaded because he had nothing to eat between dawn and evening, and his guts wouldn't seize because he'd drunk out of a ditch where the cattle wallowed. On the other hand, there would be no games during recess, no joking with friends on the three-mile walk to school, no pretty girls to watch shyly from a distance, and no moment under the mango tree when, scratching out numbers in the dirt, he suddenly recognized their order and pattern. A thrill of insight that would inevitably be wiped away by the teacher dragging his shoe over Julius's work so that the next child could take his turn with arithmetic. Saturday, so none of that. But still Julius rose early. The Achan family, Julius was the oldest of nine children, occupied a complex of circular huts, dried mud at the base and dried grass woven into a roof, spread over an acre-sized clearing about a mile off the main road between the city Lyra and the border with Sudan. Klansmen occupied similar clusters of huts within a ten-minute walk. Together, the huts formed the village of Awake. There was no commercial center to mark the place. Its boundaries were engraved in the memories of the village elders. The family slept inside last night because the Karamajong were not active in the area. During the time of the Karamajong, herders infamous for thieving cattle, you had to leave at night to sleep in the elephant grass. There was no resisting their savagery when they came. You could smell the Karamajong before you saw them. That sickening grease smell from the cattle fat they slathered over their naked flesh. They used to attack with bows and spears, but now they came with AK-47s. Julius once saw a friend, a classmate, a longy boy his own age, fall like a bird from the branch of a shea-nut tree when a Karamajong scout shot him. The boy landed with a sickening thud, bounced once, and then lay still and dead. At that point, Julius Achan had already seen a number of dead people, especially dead children, but they had all died from cholera or typhus or AIDS or dysentery or pneumonia or malaria or any number of other preventable diseases that afflicted Uganda, where 60% of the population was under the age of 20 and the life expectancy was 46. But that was the first violent death the boy had witnessed. It would not be the last. On this Saturday morning in January 1988, there was no school, no Karamajong, and no lion track in the packed dirt by the fire pit outside the hut. The lion had come only once, but Julius never forgot the immensity of its paw print, nearly twelve inches across. The air seemed to shimmer above the track, just a few steps from where Julius and his family had been sleeping. His father explained that the lion had likely been an aged male, cast out from its pride, and posed relatively little threat. Still, the paw print seemed to pulse with a malevolent force of its own, frightening Julius more than the notion of seeing the beast itself. Every morning, the boy looked down apprehensively as he stepped from the hut. When the lion's mark wasn't there, he would say a quick prayer of thanks. And yet at the same time, he felt a faint, inexplicable throb of disappointment. 
Julius moved into his day and its long chain of chores, tethering the goats, turning over the garden soil for planting, cutting sugarcane, snaring birds, and twice a day without fail, humping the clay jar down to the spring. He would fill the jar with water, balance it on top of his head, and pick his way barefoot over the mud and rocks and razor-sharp grass for the half-mile back to the hut, careful not to spill a precious drop, or worse, drop and break the even more precious jar, made out of mud and shaped and baked with painstaking care by his mother. The job put steel in his hips, back, neck, and abdominal muscles, and taught him to run with a sinuous, efficient, straight-backed stride that would serve him so well in the future. But now Julius resented the jar. Children in neighboring villages bore their family's water in five-gallon plastic jugs that rode easy on their heads or could be balanced, yoke-like, on their shoulders. Why couldn't Julius use a plastic jerry can like other children? The same reason he couldn't afford tuition and a school blouse, or a few pennies to buy a mango or cassava root at lunchtime. Because Charles, his father, drank up all the money, pounding home-brewed banana beer with his buddies in the nearby town of Otuque. Charles drank all day, every day. That Saturday was no exception. 